It's Cannonballs. It's time. It's time for the final episode about Ulysses. Um, but before we get to that, I'm just reminding you that you are listening to Cannonballs, the book about diving into the literary canon headfirst. I think that's probably unsafe. I don't know if you're supposed to point your hands. Um, but it's so that you don't have to. Uh, I'm Gemma Kaneko. I like books. Ben Cosman is here. He also likes books. Sometimes. Some books. <laughs> and finally, on our odyssey of Ulysses, that was a terrible middle school grade joke. Uh, we're joined by Hillary Rich. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for journeying on so many strange literary journeys with us. Do you know if it's unsafe to dive headfirst? Is that even a dive? Um, I think that is a dive. I think they're like a sailor's dive is about your hands. Maybe. Might be making it up. <laughs> no, I trust you. You're definitely, you definitely know more about things than I do. I just know it's true. You are a real adult person with like a solid base of knowledge. Um, I hope you know more about Ulysses than I do, though, because this was this was rough. <laughs> well, I guess we'll find out how much we all know about Ulysses. We uh, finished the first two parts last week, and we are finishing up with part three. That's the end, the final end of this long, long, long book. Um, if you want to know what happened before, you can go back and listen to the previous episode. And uh, now I'm going to tell you really quickly what happened in this last part, which isn't very much, even though it is long. But I guess overall you can say how much really happens in this book. Um, so a reminder, the three important characters that we care about are Stephen Dedalus, a young Irishman who's also sort of James Joyce wandering around the world. He's an artist. Uh, Leo Bloom, the Odysseus equivalent, who is just a middle-class dude with a wife and daughter. And Molly Bloom, his wife, Penelope slash various witches, who is in bed all day at home, and he's trying to get back to her. That's those are the characters. Uh, our two minute plot summary. Maybe this will be one minute because the last part was definitely shorter than the first two. So, are you guys ready? I'm ready. Yes. Great. So we just finished the part where there's a 200-page play full of prostitutes and hallucinations, and now Bloom is helping Stephen get home. It's supposed to be his dad's house because his friends, uh, the annoying English guy and Buck Mulligan, were like, mm, don't come home. Um, so the next episode reads actually kind of like someone trying to write really well, but who's also kind of drunk. And they get... So Stephen actually comes to Bloom's house. But before that happens, they stop in a cab shelter and talk with various sailors and horse drivers. I'm not really 100% sure what that job title is. They talk about some recent murders, Irish republicanism, theology, uh, and then Bloom says that Daedalus can come over for hot chocolate. Then we go to the catechism chapter, which is a series of questions, and the answers are the story, essentially. So it covers Bloom having to break into his own house. He thinks about his relationship with Stephen. Like They have this kind of awkward father-son relationship where they want to communicate about real things, but they kind of miss each other a lot. Um, they talk about more things. They think about various women in their lives, and then they pee in the courtyard. Stephen leaves. Bloom thinks about his day, goes upstairs to talk to Molly, and then there's a giant period at the end of the chapter. Um, final chapter is Molly's chapter, which is eight long sentences. And in each sentence, Molly thinks about a different part of her life and a various lover or her daughter and the world. And then she kind of starts to get dark, but before she lets herself jump off the cliff into what happens after we die, why is everything so bad? She takes herself back to how excited she has been to marry Leo, and that is the end of the book. That's it? That's it. That's it. Well done. That's it. Did I leave anything out? Uh, they Leo and uh, Stephen P. next to each other? 
I think I said that. Did you say that? Yeah, there was the courtyard peeing part. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that was that was the big highlight for me. <laughs> of course it was. Cool, 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 cool. Well, I'm gonna completely make a left turn away from that, and we're gonna talk about women and not mm. peeing in courtyards. <laughs> So if that comes up in the discussion, I guess you, you can come back to it. So the book ends with Molly's chapter and famously ends with the, the words, yes, I will. I said yes. And it's the one time we get anything from the perspective of a woman, despite the fact that everyone seems to think about women a lot. Since we talked about last time, there's the scene where Bloom jerks off on a beach and it's sort of supposed to be from the point of view of one of the women he's jerking off to, but actually it's just what he's decided she's thinking and not what she's really thinking. Um, Whereas Molly's monologue is truly considered Molly's monologue. Um, How do we feel like women are treated in this book? Hillary, I'm going to let you answer first because you are, you are a woman. All right. Well, thank you. Um, (laughs) I was really frustrated um, with, with the last chapter. Um, So I know like to this entire book, we've seen, Bloom thinking about what Molly is doing. And overall, he's been pretty off the mark. Like she wasn't having like Mm -hmm. a ton of extramarital affairs until she was with this most recent one. But I don't know. She just felt, I was disappointed with her. And maybe it's unfair because like, I don't have really poignant thoughts at what's now like three o'clock in the morning. Um, I'm probably a little self-centered then too, but I really wanted her to have more depth. Um, and I just felt like you get like the artistic Steven and you get, you know, the more scientific bloom. And then you get Molly who's just going through like her litany of lovers. <laughs> and I was disappointed. I, I wanted more from her. And I was also really upset that we didn't get more about Millie. Like she's the only other female character in the book. And it feels like she kind of just gets thrown in on occasion and her role in the family isn't as significant or isn't as thought about as much as I'd hoped it would be. Like Bloom seems to be focusing more on his dead son than his living daughter. Mm -hmm. So will we, so when you say that she kind of has this like self-centered tech, do you think anybody else in the book also thinks like that? Oh yeah. I mean, I think they're all very (laughs) self-centered. Like (laughs) I, yeah, I don't think she's like an anomaly. I think she's just the most like, obvious about it or maybe her self-centeredness doesn't also accompany any literary illusions so it just seems worse somehow like at least the other ones have more like they're thinking about themselves but they're also like connecting it to like uh, literature or to like philosophy and things like that so it kind of maybe disguises a little more how self-absorbed they are but for her you don't even get those trappings that's really interesting to consider that like her level of elevation is just because, because we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but like, what is mundane? And like, is she more mundane than all these dudes? Yeah, I don't think so. I just think that Joyce doesn't even give her that like extra bit that he has, <laughs> like grants to the rest of them. Ben, do you have any thoughts about this? Uh, I have a couple. I, I do think something I thought about um, in Molly's chapter is that she almost might have, like, she probably had the most interesting day compared uh-huh. to Leo or Steven. And particularly, she definitely had the most um, literary day. Like, I think, uh, you know, bored housewife having an extramarital affair with her like, singing manager or something 
is the right. stuff of a novel where <laughs> yeah. we spend instead we spend the previous 700 pages on her boring husband going about his day sitting in bars um and not doing much of anything literary so i do think i thought that was interesting i don't know what that i don't know what that might say i don't like is i i wondered briefly if joyce was trying to say something how uh the majority of literature spends time on boring men when there's these interesting women whose lives are unexplored um by novels um i also but one of my big questions i wanted to ask you the two of you is i couldn't and i i couldn't decide if molly if her narration if her stream of consciousness read authentic or it read like a man trying to write a woman huh what do you think i i I think it read like a man trying to write a woman yep (laughs) <laughs> just by like i i the way her some of her phrasing and her thought process like i mean i don't want to yeah i don't want to gender anybody but um it, it did not it read definitely like it almost read like bloom imagining what his wife would think like as he goes to sleep yes so like when you said that uh gemma in your pot summary that this was the section where it's like definitely molly's thoughts at first i wasn't even sure if it was oh interesting because it seems so much like a continuation of what he thought. Yeah, I kind of like that reading actually better because uh, I would also say that most scholarship about this book is from men as well. So when scholarship says, well, this is Molly, like they're, they could also just be full of shit. Right. That's what they think women think like. What a nice one. Yeah. Because I mean, this is sort of the trope in literature, uh, but also it's the trope because it's so true, which is that um, men write women as though we are constantly thinking about our tits, mm-hmm. like all the time. <laughs> like there's like that. It's just no matter what, it's like in the top of our brains. And Molly also has that. It comes up always. Right. Like like she's I think always, <laughs> she thought about sex too much, I think. And I mean, maybe Molly is a hypersexual person. And so she's thinking about all the time, like Bloom is also thinking about sex all the time. The entire book, every time he sees any part of a woman, he's like, oh, I'm into this. I'm like thinking about banging now. Um, Like I'm literally jerking off on a beach. Um, So I think that it's not that she's thought about sex too much. It's that she always thought about it in the same way. Right. And then she didn't seem to like she maybe it's because her portrayal is is a person who's more self-centered. So when she's thinking about her lover, she's thinking about what they liked about her and not what she liked about them. But, yeah, I mean Bloom does that too when he's on the beach. He that's why he projects his thoughts onto the girl who is it Gertie or I can't remember her name. Yeah, um, her name is Gertie. Gertie, he projects his thoughts onto her what she's thinking about him. So he does the same thing. Um and I, I mean, there's a couple quotes because I think Molly acknowledges her hypersexuality or she said she says something along the lines of like, maybe that's why I'm so I've been so sexual lately or something. Um, so she recognizes it. But she also, again, there's this narrowing of her and Bloom, particularly towards the end when she's reminiscing about their real early relationship and the proposal where she says, quote, that was why I liked him, because I saw he understood or felt what a woman is. And I don't know. I don't think we've seen that. We've seen Bloom be empathetic throughout the book, but I don't know if we've seen him empathize with women. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that Bloom's great character trait is empathy, but as we learn in the catechism section with Steven, there's a part of him that is so completely incapable of making those leaps that even though he is kind of this beacon of compassion in the book, but it's only the most like tepid sort. Like he can identify with other people, but he doesn't take strong positions on anything. He doesn't do anything really that doesn't, that would create change in any kind of situation he finds himself in. It's a, Um, it's a cowardly empathy, I think. Yeah. And so, so I, I think that's interesting too, that, well, maybe even Molly is, was a bit deceived. Like she mentions, she like kind of in a roundabout way is like, they haven't actually had sex in like 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. So I can imagine that, you know, she, her with the way she feels about things even if she's like okay well Boylan isn't as great of a lover like she's like oh someone's you know paying attention to me in some way but yeah. I I do find it interesting I, do, I really do uh, like the reading of the fact that it's just Bloom thinking about what he thinks his wife thinks I think it matches yeah. too with what he was thinking on the beach like as we talked about in the last episode, we get all these different perspectives on Bloom and she's still reflecting on like how handsome he was when they first married and <laughs> you know, like the same thing. I'm like, what does this guy even look like? Like, I can't tell. Right. No. What does he look like? I have no idea. Um, I mean, she also thinks other people are creeps and Bloom is kind of a creep. Oh, I also. think he's definitely oh, a yeah. creep. <laughs> yeah. But. Um, I'm also interested in in what you said, Hillary, about her her monologue being the one that's sort of free from constant allusions to things that are going on in the world and literature. And the reading of that, I think, can be that Molly is uneducated, which she herself worries about. She's like, oh, well, when Stephen Dedalus comes over, you know, I'm going to read a book, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, I, I think, like, if one wanted to read it like this, which is probably inaccurate because of Joyce and who he was, but... Um, that everybody else sort of has the temerity to go around living their extremely dull lives. Like Bloom's day was not that interesting. And when yeah. he talks about it, it's like he leaves stuff out, but also it doesn't matter. Like he didn't do anything that was that exciting. Um, but yet his equivalent of going out in the morning, going to a funeral, helping this drunk dude get home and get picking up a dirty letter and being a creep on the beach. Like, so Leo is this Odysseus equivalent, like his whole day of just screwing around essentially and going to someone's funeral is the equivalent of Odysseus coming home to Ithaca, like a 10 year journey beset by gods and monsters. But it's just like a guy who ends up at a brothel and gets home late. (laughs) Whereas Molly doesn't consider her life in any of those grand terms or even she doesn't allude to other things that she's read. Like she's not trying to explain herself. She's not performing this sort of like grandiosity for anyone. And Betta, I was thinking about something you said in the very first episode of this show, which was Mary Carr telling David Foster Wallace that the broom of the system wasn't a book. It was just him proving how well read he was. Mm-hmm. Um, and Molly does not try to consider herself above any kind of like the mundane life that she is living. So that could be read in one way, which is that she just has the, she's grounded enough not to think that about herself. Um, But it could also be read in a more judgmental way, which is that Joyce assumes that women don't 
women live on the sidelines and are not protagonists and therefore are not people who are going to be thinking about this kind of stuff all the time. So I don't know. I felt like by giving her the last chapter though, like she sort of has the final word that that like the second interpretation was, is maybe less, less accurate or less convincing because I felt like she was actually a pretty savvy character. Like she knows what we've seen the entire day is what men value in her is what she looks like and like her sexuality. And so it sort of makes sense that she's recognized that's what has value in her world. And so that's what she has to focus on. Like Stephen, you know, is valued for being like, you know, literary and people like even offer him jobs and Bloom is like values his own like scientific capabilities. But really for her, it's what she looks like and has, that's what she has to offer. So I think it sort of makes sense that that's the direction her thoughts go just practically. So do we think that this is really Molly thinking or is it Bloom thinking about what Molly could be thinking? I think it's the latter. But I, I am intrigued by, I'm interested in the, what you just said, the, that Molly is so ground, like she doesn't need the illusions to live her life. Like she doesn't do that. But then I'm thinking, then that raises the question, if you compare her and her husband who does all the illusions and fills his life with those, who's happier? Like, is life more tolerable when you do try to ascribe more meaning and illusions to your life? Or are you happier admitting defeat? Do you think that Molly is admitting defeat? I mean, not that she's admitting defeat, is that she doesn't do that. But she also doesn't seem particularly happy. Do you think that Bloom seems happy? No, but I'm, I mean, I guess is so are they, but are they equally unhappy? I think kind of, yes. And even sort of in the same way, like they both have these moments where they're reflecting on what their lives could have been. Like she thinks she could have been, you know, like a really important stage performer if she hadn't married him. Bloom thinks that he should have been a world traveler. So it almost makes it seem like however well you dress up your thoughts or try to prove yourself, it doesn't really matter. Like they both still are unhappy in similar ways. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I think one of the, the one thing that keeps me from thinking that it's Bloom imagining Molly is that Molly also seems slightly wrong. So she, she references the letter Bloom gets like the dirty letter. Um, And it seems to me that she thinks it's a lot more prevalent or there's a lot more going on there than actually is. So she, it's, I read it as almost a a similar overestimation of Bloom's infidelities as Bloom overestimates Molly's. I can see that. I can also see that if it is Bloom thinking about what Molly thinks, like he may have an interest in inflating that detail himself as well. But then I guess Molly does know a lot of things that Bloom doesn't necessarily know about her, like her one ex who had her thing for her feet. Hmm. Um, uh, but or they could I, just be an imagine imagination of Bloom. Yeah, we've seen him in the play really play out some crazy scenarios. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is really true. Um, I do think Hillary that you're right that everybody is slightly unhappy in almost the same way, which is that their lives are ultimately very average, despite the fact that they don't necessarily 
feel that they have always been average in their lives. Um, I mean, I guess Stephen Dedalus grows up to be James Joyce. So, <laughs> Congrats, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, let's talk about James Joyce in a little bit wider sense, which is this book is about a lot of different things, but also primarily style. Like it's a lot of style choices. Every chapter is extremely different. There's almost no consistency other than character in terms of the way the story is told. Um, so did you have a favorite style choice in the entire, we'll open it up to the entire book, Ben? Uh... I, I, it's funny because I can name you my least favorite. Um, like I really thought I was going to like the catechism chapter and did not. Um, I, I thought it was, um, I mean, it's, I struggle with so much of this because so much of it felt like style for style's sake, which really just bothers me. Um, honestly, I think my favorite style is the last chapter, even though it was the most arduous it was, I think, the most, um, I think when I was thinking of Ulysses before this, before reading it, I was thinking of the style of the last chapter of Molly's stream of consciousness. I mean, I think that's probably what most people imagine when they think of this book. Um, why was that most effective for you? Or why, why, even though if it was work, did you like it the most? Um, because it felt the most... Um, like it, it's hard cause it's, it was very stylistic, but it almost felt like it was stripping all the other style away. Like every other artifice of narration has been stripped away and is literally just run on sentence after run on sentence, no punctuation of thought, which I think is the core of the book and what, what we were supposed to have been getting the whole time. But Bloom and Steven have been dressing up their thoughts in this narrative style almost the style almost as if the style themselves are an illusion that they're making to place their thoughts in this higher um pantheon of uh meaning whereas molly's is just everything stripped away it's 3 a.m here's what's running through my brain i really like that analysis which is that the rest of the book is kind of because he does intentionally is, is kind of like making fun of other writers sometimes yeah. that we're going for like 19th century romanticism, um, like, like article editorial style writing. Um, I like the idea that these, these two men are elevating their own thoughts into these much more um, academic file, like ideas mm-hmm. of, of how their thoughts might be so important Um and that Molly's is just stripped down and it's purely just gen- genuine. I, I really, I find that very, very, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it felt, yeah, the, the rest of the book, it almost felt like we were hiding behind style. And then now finally we weren't. Hillary, did you have a favorite section style-wise? Um, I agree with Ben, actually. I liked, I liked Molly's thought chapter, but I also, I liked the catechism chapter too. It's my favorite. Um, I didn't expect to like it, but and I think I liked it for a much less like, I don't know, intelligent reason. I just liked it because it helped me orient what was happening. It was so refreshing to read a chapter where I'm like, I can actually follow each step of the action. I'm not like flipping like back to see like what I missed or who's thinking. It was almost like each question was like its own little thesis. And so I found it the easiest to follow. So it just felt refreshing after slogging through so much of the other style that was really arduous. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I, I love that chapter so much. I found it really grounding, even though it was still extremely hallucinatory. Oh, yeah. um, like the questions themselves are so narrow to, to that the answers are extremely wide. Like even saying, so like, what did each do at the door of egress? Bloom set the candlestick on the floor. Steven put the hat on his hat. Okay, so they're about to leave. They're going to exit. Like, we, we understand what happened. But then in, in, in the chapter, as it goes bigger and bigger, it's like, what spectacle confronted them when they, first the host, then the guest, emerged silently, doubly dark from the obscurity by a passage from the rear of the house into the penumbra of the garden? Answer, the heaven tree of stars hung with humid night blue fruit. Like, what? (laughs) I I find it so incredible because it does both achieve that effect of kind of actually telling you what happened without losing sight of this more elaborate sort of mystical. I call it the catechism chapter. Other people call it like the scientific method chapter. But to me, it does retain that element of sort of Catholic mystery of all of these processes are happening in the dark in the night and we know they're happening, but we can't describe them because then that would just make it, it doesn't work anymore. Like the mat, the, essentially what is magic doesn't work anymore. And I, I really enjoy that. And also just as a writer, um, I say as a writer as though anyone cares about what I write, I find it such an, uh, uh, an incredible shortcut. Like if you don't know what to write, just ask a question, like literally write the question of what happens next and then answer it. I think that's part of the reason why I didn't like it because it seemed like the peak, uh, of what we had read before with the idea of wrapping this mundanity, the trivialness of your life in um something else to to hide from that fact like it's if i ima- as i was reading it, i imagine it was bloom thinking about this in his head mm-hmm. as if, if as if there was some third external narrator or audience asking these questions about him as if his wor- if his life was worthy of scientific introspection Hmm. Okay. Well, I like this because it goes with your overall theory of that the men in this book just really think that their lives are a much broader and wider uh, canvas than they actually are. It's like, I don't like when this is like a common internet confessional thing, but people saying like, oh, like when, you know, you pretend you're on a talk show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a sort of, that's sort of what it is. It's Bloom imagining someone caring about what he did with Steven when he brought him home. Uh, do you care? What happened? Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but I also, I mean, I, I appreciate it because like, I, I say this, that it was, a, it's, I appreciate it as a, device because i think it shows the um necessity of doing so what do you mean the necessity of doing so like i think if ulysses is about um you know facing just your average mundane life then ulysses is also about the necessity for self-preservation of finding more meaning than is actually there Okay, so let's expand this a little bit. The book itself 
we discussed in our first episode is about people living their lives and we see them doing very average things. Like sometimes they have thoughts about Hamlet and fatherhood, but sometimes they pick their nose and sometimes they pee in a courtyard and that's all described. It's something that we see. So their average lives are depicted in all their averageness, including the way that average people, all of us included, can some, will sometimes elevate our experiences in our own minds. The book is written in like 18 different styles, more or less. Well, maybe not 18, because the first six chapters are not extremely dissimilar from each other. But in all these different styles, which itself is profoundly unaverage for a piece of literary fiction. Um, how do those ideas fit together for you? Is everyone average? What is the best way to depict that? Do you have any thoughts about those I, things? I do. I think, well, I think it's, I think they fit together, right? I think if Joyce is writing a story that is at its most simple, very boring and mundane, which is just a middle-class, middle-aged man, goes to a funeral, spends some time in bars, jerks off on the beach, goes home. <laughs> um, then I do, I think it's a commentary. It's, I mean, he's doing what Bloom does through his day. Joyce, if Bloom tries to connect his life and find all these illusions in his life and, um, you know, expands the scope of his own life well beyond Dublin then Joyce is also doing that with his own writing. He, you know, you can't, I mean, I would almost, I would prefer to see it done um, straight, but I think Joyce knows you can't. How do you think it would have been, what is, okay, what is straight to you? And how do you think your experience would have changed if that were the case? Um... I, well, I think there's two versions of straight in this book. I think there's the first six chapters, which are very standard literary fiction, even if the the language might not necessarily be standard, but the structure um, is. And then there's straight, which is Molly's chapter, which is just thought. Whereas everything in between is, you know, here's this 200-page play, here's this chapter in the form of newspaper headlines and leads, because, like, in the newspaper office, it's just people talking about a story and then Bloom coming in trying to get an ad run. Um, and that's it. But it's, you know, 50 pages because it's each action is a headline. Which mm -hmm. almost seems like the catechism chapter. It's, um, you know, the idea of thinking each personal action is news newsworthy is in itself... Um, you know, it's making, that's the point it's making, right? That Bloom and everyone mm -hmm. else has to pretend like what they're doing can be, you know, worthy of a news article. So would you have wanted that chapter to be in, exist in another way? I mean, it would be more, well, it depends. I mean, it would be more, I don't know. If Joyce, well, it depends what Joyce wanted to do. If he wanted to write the most boring book possible, he would not include that, right? I mean, 
I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know if what, what most boring book possible would be. Like, do you think that was his aim to try to write a boring mm. book to be like, your lives are all boring and everyone's boring? Uh, I mean, I think partly, right? So did he want the reader to feel bored? No, that's why I think he includes that chapter. Because otherwise it'd be boring. Okay. <laughs> so are we, what I'm curious now about are like, are you, are you happy this chapter was included or not? I don't know. Like, I, don't, I don't know. I, don't I know. go both ways. Like reading it, I'm happy it was included because it's easier to read. But if mm-hmm. ascribing to the idea that everyone's life is boring and if we want to just dwell in that and come to terms with that, then you don't include that chapter. Well, I think boring is different than average, but that is my <laughs> parsing there. Um, Hillary, do you have any thoughts about this? Um, I don't know. I kind of struggled, like, when I finished this book, too, to try to think, you know, what was, like, the point of it? And is this one of those mm-hmm. books where, like, the point is there is no point. Um, and I think that's almost, <laughs> like, a, a little too lazy. Like, I want, I want more from it than that. I... I guess I was trying to think about like, maybe he was just saying that everyone has the right or maybe not the right, but like the tendency to make themselves the hero of their own story. And so Bloom is really only Ulysses in his own mind because like, and because you see in other ways, like he is not like he's walking around a city, but he's not really having adventures of the same magnitude. But mm-hmm. I guess like it, maybe it's sort of like your prerogative to believe that you are the most important person, at least to yourself, even though you might not be to other people. But mm-hmm. I, I think my complaint and maybe Ben, you're right, that it was like the idea is to explain boringness, but try to do it in a way that makes people want to read it. But I just didn't think that concept was necessarily interesting enough for me to have wanted to devote this many pages to it so I don't know like what he could have done stylistically to make me really be riveted with this concept through a book of this length um that's interesting I mean considering I'm again gonna I'm gonna say that I don't think that boring and and average are are the same thing because Ben you said earlier that like dissatisfied wife has affair with talent booker is a novel but is also like not necessarily it's not gone girl right it's not a woman fakes her own death to frame her husband and murder someone with box cutters spoilers too late um but it, it is it is not it is not uncommon for people to have extramarital affairs because they're unhappy right, right? so so like what is interesting versus boring versus what is average versus what is extraordinary, I think are different questions. Um, and maybe it's because so much of this book is dense and impenetrable that it's easy for a reader to lose interest. Those things get conflated. Um, and I also think that for me, at least the narrowing perspective of Joyce, like the fact that he is just a man who does kind of miss some degree of other people's humanity makes it harder for it to do this all encompassing thing of well, we need to have compassion and multiple perspectives and ideas. Um, because what to him, what is multiplicity to me is still, you're just talking to a bunch of white people on an (laughs) Island. 
I mean, um, so here's another question. I do, I didn't, I agree with you. I, there seemed to be a humanity missing from this book. And I think some of the style put it at that remove. Like, that's why I think Molly's chapter is the most human. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. Um, but I also, like you said earlier, did we find Molly to be an actually realist, realistic woman? Like, I did find that Joyce gave her a ton of humanity, but also that that's not really what women are like. Like, both are true. Or at least what I am not thinking about all the time in my life. Like, just, like, my awareness of my own body does not extend the way Molly's does. Um, and that maybe the world does value her for her appearance, but I think that's probably true for a lot of women. And yet we don't spend tons and tons of our time thinking about the way our breasts feel in every outfit that we wear. Um, so like, yes, there is humanity there, but it's also, he gives her the gift of wide ranging perspective, but in a way that's almost kind of condescending to me. Yeah, I agree. She was both the most human and a caricature. Yeah, I agree. I thought she was human and a caricature at the same time. Yes, 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 exactly. And I think that's probably just because Joyce, the man, has had a slight, had trouble making the leap to a woman's mind like that. Um, But I've gone on many rants on this podcast about men in literature before um so i will not do one now what i will do is introduce our final segment of the show the die of death in which we will roll a die and we will talk about a bunch of things uh, about the book we'll play one of six games everyone will get their chance to play one so our games are would you rather pitch the bad gritty reboot who goes nazi share your favorite fanfic which for the point of this game i'm going to change share your favorite fanfic since there's not as much fanfic for ulysses as we would all hope um I'm going to change it to uh, tell us if you would recommend this book or not, um, which is silly, but imagine that it is not a huge literary uh, bedrock novel and that you just read this book. Hard, but try. Um, Five, favorite passage, and six, tell us the most mundane thing you thought about today. We're recording in the morning, so the sample size may be a bit smaller, but that's all right. I'm ready. Uh, Is everybody ready? Yeah. Right. Hillary, would you like to go first? All right, here we go. You got four. Would you recommend this book to somebody? That's a that's a hard one. So in this in this scenario, this is not a really like important book. It is just yeah, a in book. In case that like it's just a book. It just like just came out like last Short-listed year. Shortlisted for the <laughs> <laughs> Um. No. No, I would not. And I feel guilty <laughs> saying it. Um, but I wouldn't want to give this to someone who's at least like the average reader or like just a friend that I have, unless you're like a little bit of a masochist, because I do think there are parts of it that are rewarding, but I just felt, at least for me, that all the work and the frustration and the questions that you still have at the end are not worth those like little nuggets of satisfaction that you get. (laughs) I think that's fair. I think that's fair. 
I'm that said, I'm glad I read it. I also, but never again. I, I don't know if I'm glad good. I read it. Good. No, good. I think I, I had a, I liked the idea of what I thought it was better than the actual, what it ended up being. Well, Ben. I know. Never do anything. I don't know. I like, I do like that. I feel like now no other book is going to intimidate yeah. me. You know, like That's there's nothing good. else now. I feel like I can't read at least written in English. Um, cause I, I read this, I got through this in uh, what a few, a few short weeks. I, I yeah, I so, read other books now and nothing should and fight feel us like now. Nothing. <laughs> I went back to it because I was reading um, a, another like a kind of like airport thriller style novel someone had lent it to me and um, it, it's like pretty straightforward and <laughs> I got really sick of that so when I would go back to Ulysses I'd be like oh what a relief but then I'd get tired and go back to the other one you know so you know to me I'm happy that things like this exist in the world lots of polls but um, I now the uh, over the course of our conversation I really did think about how the way we think about literature and perspective has completely changed my view of reading this book almost 10 years since I read it the first time, uh, which is that it is missing a humanity that I didn't understand then because I was still kind of trapped in this world where I had been told by so many people for so long that like, these are the great books. These are the great writers. And it just, settles in the fact that to be a man in the world is a default perspective. And so to portray everything from that point of view, even if it's really wide ranging is extraordinary, which in fact is not. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a good lesson. I like that. Um, all right. Ben, are you ready for your game? I'm always ready. Okay. Let's go. You got favorite passage. Number oh. five. Oh, wow. Um, there are, <laughs> there are a few, um, is it going to be about peeing? <laughs> no, that's my favorite scene, but I'm here. So there's, I'm going to start off with one right off the first one I think of, I don't know if this is my favorite, but there's, and it's, there's a passage, uh, towards the end of Molly's thinking where, and this is where I started, where I was pretty confident that it was bloom when, where it was not supposed to be Molly's thoughts because she, at one point she says, it'd be much better for the world to be governed by the women. And then like a few sentences later, she says, we are a dreadful lot of bitches. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, this seems like, <laughs> I don't know. But I just thought those two sentiments so closely aligned. I laughed out loud when I read the second one. <laughs> Cause I thought it was going to be this, like uh, this screed about, um, you know, feminism and why men uh, in power are, you know, fucking up the world. And it starts like that. And then she, you know, says, well, women aren't any better. <laughs> but my favorite passage. Oh, you know what my favorite passage is? Is <laughs> in the middle of the play, um, there's when Bloom is fantasizing uh, the BDSM fantasy and uh -huh. uh, someone he's with just farts on him, like puts him down, like sits on him and farts on him. <laughs> that is my favorite passage because I was not <laughs> expecting that <laughs> because it's just, you know, midway through Ulysses, this great work of literature. And then there's a, uh, there's a BDSM farting scene. I was like, yeah, there's right. a, I mean, there's a decent amount of, of gasp moments in yeah. this book. Mo you know, Molly farts at the end. She does. Um, I, Joyce's letters to his wife, Nora are, um, extremely detailed on that set yeah. of fantasies. So. 
Yeah. Um, also, anyway. hey, shit breaches is my favorite line. <laughs> I, use that, I use that insult a lot now. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad you learned a new insult. Um, all right, I'm rolling for myself. And I got Pitch the Bad Gritty Reboot, which is terrible. <laughs> That's really hard. So if you guys want to help me, please do. Um, so I guess if someone was going to reboot Ulysses now, uh, it would probably be as like a prestige TV series. Mm-hmm. Um, and it maybe it would be like anthology-esque, like it would be like American Horror Story-ish. Um, like if every episode was had a I guess every episode would be 90 minutes it would have to be like Sherlock and every episode would be directed by a different person different showrunner different writers like they could not be the same um the cast I think could have has to be the same otherwise it would just be utterly incomprehensible and we want it to be mostly incomprehensible not utterly um and it would be about someone getting home but uh if we're gonna make it way grittier i guess it should be like a jaunty mad max style post-apocalyptic world so it's like really casual but also all the cities has fought have fallen and people fight each other in the streets for water (laughs) but it's like that's not like that's not like the whole goal it's just like it's like this dude's day in the life just in barter town basically like trying to get home um but the the way that it would be structured would be different from every aspect um and i guess if it's a gritty if it's a reboot you know it's great it's not about some dude it's about uh, some some non-dude person. That that is my pitch. I actually think this would be a great show. Someone should make it. Um, I don't have any money, so I cannot. Uh, but you know that that's that's my bad gritty reboot. You guys want to add anything to it? Yeah, I oh, watch that. that. I like that better <laughs> than Ulysses. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> some, yeah, it's got some Emmys. The last episode would just be um, the main character's significant other talking straight into the camera <laughs> for 90 minutes. Oh, wow. That would be an amazing... Everyone everyone on uh, TV Twitter oh, yeah. would go nuts for that. Totally nuts. That would be infuriating. It would be the equivalent of The Sopranos blackout. <laughs> yes. Uh, make my shows. Why does anyone want to give me millions of dollars to make my shows? You can make Westworld HBO. You can make My Ulysses Reboot. <laughs> okay. That was Ulysses. We did it. We read it. Um, you don't have to read it because now you can listen to the past uh, three episodes that will give you all of our biased opinions about it, um, which I don't think are the worst opinions. There may be uh, average but ones. Average but average has value. <laughs> average no. ones dressed up in uh, yeah. literary importance. <laughs> Exactly. The average has value. Even if the other thing is, is I wonder if Joyce ever thought anything he ever did in his life was average or if he was just like, how kind of me to condescend to the average I mean, people. That's, that, that I think is what irks me about this book is that it knew it was great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was self-important. So smug. What a smug jerk. Um, so that let's let's end on that. What a smug jerk, James <laughs> Joyce. <laughs> Uh, we will be back af- at the end of the summer. Um, like many of you, we are taking a brief summer vacation, Britain style, not terribly long, but long enough. We're going to come back to you with a whole new season of books to read uh, in the canon. We, you can follow us on Twitter at CanonBallsPod, that's C-A-N-O-N, Balls with a Z, pod, and you will find out what our schedule is. Or on Instagram, uh, same handle tweeted us send us your book photos we want to see all of them and um please don't tell us about your farts because we don't care we're not james joyce uh i am Gemma. 
Ben, Hillary, thank, thank you so you. much. Pleasure as always. And we'll talk to you soon.